Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we have the normal crew here uh, with me as always, John Garcia. How's it going, John? Hey, it's going well. Um, I've had a few nightmares recently, and I'm not exactly sure why that is, but there's like a family standing in a room laughing at me, and I can't really figure it out, and then they're ravens oh. or crows. Oh, Just, my. I don't think uh, it has anything to do with, with this episode, though. There's no way. <laughs> In- interesting good to know uh with us also mr ryan king how's it going ryan it's going well we're, we're recording this on the podcast hour it's coincidentally the hour that most podcasts are recorded on or deleted on <laughs> uh that's pretty good so this week we are talking about the 1968 ingmar bergman classic hour of the wolf the hour of the wolf is the hour between night and dawn. It is the hour when most people die, when sleep is deepest, when nightmares are most real. It is the hour when the sleepless are haunted by their deepest fear, when ghosts and demons are most powerful. The hour of the wolf is also the hour when most children are born. Hour of the Wolf is the only horror film that Ingmar Bergman ever made, and uh, it's it's a doozy. Uh, it's one of David Lynch's favorite films, which is very that obvious. Makes a when, lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 when you watch it, uh, you can really see the influence that Ingmar Bergman had on David Lynch's career. Really, just this movie. I mean, like a, a lot of Bergman work is very psychological and uh, you know, kind of very deep thinking and he can create this dreamlike atmosphere in a fascinating way but the degree that he does it in hour of the wolf is is pretty wild it's it's a pretty influential movie that um i I think is pretty great um i have the ingmar bergman cinema box set from criterion that has 39 different bergman movies in it and i have been kind of slowly working my way through that and i'd seen a couple of his movies before i bought the box set but i've seen about 15 of his movies now including a lot of the big ones like the seventh seal persona uh scenes from a marriage uh but hour of the wolf is my favorite of his movies that i've seen so far um also reminds me a lot of the shining i wonder if kubrick had seen this movie um but it's it just has a very interesting tone and um i think it's going to be fascinating conversation but um the movie starts off with some text on the screen saying that there is a, you know, kind of somewhat renowned painter named Johann Borg who has just gone missing from his home, just kind of clear, disappeared off the face of the earth, and no one really knows what happened to him. Um, the filmmaker has spoken to his wife, Alma, and um, she has kind of given him her account and his diary as well, and the movie is based on 
uh, the diary and her description of what happened. Um, then we cut to, you know, basically the account of what's going on. Alma is played by Liv Ullman and Johan is played by Max von Sydow. Um, I think two of the greatest, uh, actors of, of their era that are both incredible in this movie. Um, and Alma begins to recount what occurred. They have this summer house on an Island off the coast of Sweden that they go to every summer and it's incredibly isolated and Johan just wants to get away and do his painting and not deal with uh, any uh, you know, parts of humanity. Um, they've been married and doing this for about seven years now and then all of a sudden this time they get confronted by some uh, strange individuals on the islands that they have not met before despite being there for seven years. Uh, these individuals live in this weird old decrepit castle and they invite them to dinner. Um, Johan also develops a decrepit fear of the dark. Uh, this movie is shot in Sweden in the summer where it's sunny for 20 plus hours a day. Um, but when it is dark, Johan is just terrified and he is completely unable to sleep. And Alma has to stay up with him during that, uh, that dark time to get him through to the daylight so he can stop freaking out and, and actually fall asleep. Um, on one of these nights, he shares with her some drawings that he's made of some weird characters and then uh, they begin to see some characteristics of those characters in some of the people on the island uh, so that's kind of the setup of the movie and things get very strange from from there um, I, I think that the tone of this movie is absolutely fascinating it's one of the most beautifully shot films that I've ever seen the, the black and white cinematography is just incredible there's a lot of like film noir and gothic horror kind of vibes to uh you know german expressionism kind of to the cinematography just the really dark blacks and the really bright whites contrasting against each other there's some scenes shot in pitch darkness where they're lit entirely by a single match or a gas lamp and it just looks it looks really cool um and then there are some scenes shot during the day that are like purposely overexposed that are really bright that create this kind of blinding feeling um and so the, the visuals are just astounding. Um, and, and the tone, Bergman mostly uses kind of the terror of silence to create this eerie tone, along with the terrifying things that these characters are saying that just create this weird and eerie vibe. Um, but occasionally he does use music. And when he does, it's really effective and very strange and uh, just has this surreal feel to it. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I really dig this movie. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Uh, it gets, you know, kind of crazy, weird Lynchian toward the end. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about, you know, what is this movie doing? What's it trying to say? Um, but yeah, uh, John, you and I watched this um, at uh, at your place in Pitch Dark on the, on the Criterion channel. What a, what did you think? We, we didn't really speak about it afterward because we needed to do the podcast. Well, I also <laughs> needed to think about it afterwards was the other thing. I don't think that this is a movie you can just watch and immediately after be like, I understood and I need to talk about. <laughs> the, I could have listed the things that I really liked. I know we didn't, because we watched it via streaming, The some of the darks, uh, like the blacks and the whites and the, the contrast were not, nearly as perfect as they could have been from something like physical media. Um, I rewatched it on my Blu-ray like the next day and it's like, oh God, it just looks so good <laughs> on Blu-ray. It was just, it was disappointing that the stream was having a little bit of trouble at times. But. Yeah, I still got like a good, <laughs> it was just a good dip into that same kind of, yeah, like the Lynchian sort of discomfort 
there's something wrong, but you don't know what it is, like a subconscious level recognition that something is just off with any one of these characters. I think there were a few times where like I laughed for a moment or I scoffed just because something was so shocking. There was like a shocking turn mm-hmm. of violence that just caught me off guard and all at one time was like horrific and also like, oh my God, like what Johan is, at times Johan acts like an angry child, like so frustrated with things and lashing out and it almost made his character there was just such a conflict of whether i cared for him or if i was like feeling more pity for uh for his wife and like her predicament having to like basically baby him through everything um yeah I, i was really curious about yeah like just what that could mean given how kind of unhinged it becomes towards the end and like detached from reality it feels how dreamlike it, it it enters into this nightmare state. Um, I also noted that, yeah, like the the music when used, it's like surgically precise. I wouldn't say that it's so much a horror mm-hmm. sting, um, like a modern you would think of, but there were definitely like aggressive tones that synced to the action itself as well. And it really made what was on screen a lot more jarring and just like, oh my God, like I can't believe that this is fucking happening right now. Uh, a lot of the shit that Johan does in his frustration and like lashing out is so repugnant, even if they don't show the violence on screen. It was kind of, we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and how they would cut some of the sequences to keep it from showing you what was happening. Uh, this doesn't necessarily cut away from it. It shows the action off screen and your mind just pieces that together and you can kind of see the aftermath. It'll pan down or, you know, you get a shot later that shows exactly what has happened and where. Um, but I loved it. I knew kind of the moment that Johan started sharing his dream creatures or dream people, whatever he was drawing. Mm-hmm. I was like, that shit's going to show up on this island. That shit's fucking <laughs> here with us. <laughs> was, yeah, see, I, like it made me afraid of an old woman. And I was just like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> the rest, I don't know what the rest of this is going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, just everything about it reminds me of when I watched like a racer head. Um, and sort of seeing like these moments where it should be a normal event, like a family dinner you're invited to, but the chicken is breathing or some shit. Uh, it's just being, um, really like put off by that. And I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I want to go back and watch it again. Cause it was just so haunting. And it, it did so much with like a short, I would say a shorter runtime than, uh, I guess mm-hmm. I'm kind of used to for this kind of thing to make an impact on me. I don't know if that's. 100 what was it what was the runtime is it an hour and 20 or was it a, an hour and 30 it's like 87 it's minutes like, long yeah they it's, do it with it's like an very, hour and 30 <laughs> very consumable yeah i've i keep going back to it i've seen it five or six times now and like i just I, it's fascinating to me every time i watch it yeah but it, it just it really sticks with me and i i've seen you know y'all know i'm in the middle of shocktober right now big haze in my brain of terrible things that could easily have pushed this out if it hadn't been nearly as visually striking or memorable in its atmosphere but uh despite having watched several texas chainsaw massacres after (laughs) and having watched a bunch of schlock as well i mean those are also schlock but having watched different franchise schlock um this one's still like on top of seven other movies from when we watched it to recording now. Uh, and that, I think that's a testament yeah. to, <laughs> to Bergman's filmmaking. Um, and I haven't seen any other, I don't think I've seen any other Bergman. So it's one of those, like, this is my first entry into the Bergman world. It's I'm not going to expect everything else to be horror, but I'm very interested to see, you know, what else I'll see from him. 
it's a great example of his like filmmaking skill, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can see, yeah. oh, he he can fucking do this, and like, yeah, he he doesn't always make horror movies. He doesn't usually make horror movies, but every movie that he makes has that level of artistry to it. So, uh, but yeah, Ryan, what'd you think? Yeah, yeah, I was definitely impressed with the the skill, the light and dark, silence, noise. Like there are the scenes that are unsettling because the music is like just heightening and heightening and heightening and you just know and then like people talk but you can't see you can't hear them you just hear the noise like mm -hmm. there are a lot of things to unsell you you talked about the edits like this has a lot of like really fast edits in some part which i feel like is you see much more in modern stuff than i feel like i saw back then um so that was kind of an interesting take very surrealistic avant-garde yeah i got like some jordowski kind of like weirdness especially with the like kind of <laughs> like weird sexual stuff that gets thrown in um kind of the like tarkovsky stalker there's a lot of that like slow build like weird conversations between like quiet um that kind of reminded me of stalker uh and then yeah i can definitely see the like modern like lynch and stuff like that i will say my the way my tastes are, once it kind of hits towards the end and it gets into that craziest part, especially when that lady like takes her face off, I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> um, but it took me a long time to get to that. And then that actually was kind of like the high. I don't feel like it got back to that same level of crazy. It kind of like came down into the, the crazy it sort of had been before. Um, I am entertained by like weird, the weird dinner, like just the, the whole thing with that uncomfortable. So like, people laughing and you don't understand mm -hmm. why they're laughing and you can kind of see it through the wife's eyes of like what the fuck is going on like is there something they know is there something my husband knows what are they doing like just the uncomfortableness that she had with all of it um definitely thought a lot about the th themes and what it's trying to say again with it being kind of surrealistic a bit like lynch's stuff it could mean anything and and mm -hmm. is it even supposed to necessarily mean things or is it just using those themes to paint a weird ass picture and leave it up to you? Um, so yeah, I do, I do want to talk about that. I would say overall I'm like mixed on my impressions of it. Like it makes me interested in some Bergman stuff, but this was like a little out there, but not enough out there in the right way. Andrew, would you, did you want to be more out there? Yeah, I kind of would either it, it get to the weirdness faster like it's interesting build and like the dinner scene and all that, but it kind of felt like we then paused after that and sat for like a long time before we got back to like him in the dark, fucking feeling, letting matches burn to feel them and then telling his bizarre stories of when he was younger that you don't know if they're true or not like that. I was, I was like, okay, we're back again. It's weird. And then it kind of goes on its <laughs> train at the end. Um, but I kind of think if, if, this was if this is like a Lynch film, like, like mentioned, like a Racerhead. Uh, we're maybe like ten percent into the movie and we're off to the races in a Lynch picture, right? Like we kind of sure, set up yeah. a few things and it's just like crazy through there. Yeah, and Jordowski's like from you know five seconds before you start the movie, it's crazy. There's never a pause. <laughs> yeah, it's just like straight credits or <laughs> the credits are yeah. all fucked up too. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually kind of thinking another movie that it reminded me of not Lynch, but Eggers. Um, it reminded me of lighthouse. We're just like, they had like breathtaking wide shots. There's like one like shot in particular where, um, where they're walking 
down like Johan's walking down in silhouette uh and there's just this like stretch of it's either it looks like an ocean is it's got to be the ocean right and it just like goes uh-huh. on for so long and you just see it culminate in the sun in the distance and it's gorgeous um mm-hmm. and those that reminded me of like watching robert pattinson like wheelbarrow shit up a hill and have that same kind of like isolationistic feel and um just the level of eeriness that it really imposes upon you with those shots and i would say for me like i felt a little bit i guess ryan i was in a similar kind of thing of like okay i know it's gonna get crazy at some point i just don't know when and for me, like sitting in the dark and like waiting, that kind of was my, I felt like that was a justified build on my, I really liked that piece of like getting to see a lot of the stuff that's grounded and then occasionally seeing something really fucking weird. So it's a very similar structure to kind of how Lighthouse plays out. And that was what I grasped to yeah, anytime that I saw somebody from that, like that family come by, I was like, what the fuck is this fan? Like, who are these? They're not really a family. It's just a group of like rich people or something that do a bunch of fucked up shit in their castle and they invite people over for family dinners. But like, I just was, that was like more terrifying to me was what if those people come in the night? I have no idea what they're trying to do. Even as friendly as they are, something's off putting about these neighbors. So. Well, obviously, if, if they come, <laughs> Johan's just going to slap the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. And they're going to just slowly lie down <laughs> and put uh, the handkerchief to their nose. I love that scene. That scene is so fucking funny to me where he's, he's just walking. And like, you just cut the cut to him walking very quickly across the island, like seemingly finished painting for the day. And this random dude in this trench coat is just trying to catch up to him walking as fast as he can just starts having a mundane conversation about the weather and yeah yon can't take it he just turns and slaps him in the face and starts shouting shut up shut up shut up and just walks away it's like anytime anybody's ever you know everybody knows that feeling of getting stuck in a conversation with somebody you like how do i get out of this conversation it's like you just slap the guy in the face and you walk away that's that ends that <laughs> i did i did like later he when he goes to the castle and that guy's there and he's like, Oh, we've met before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, so I was kind of, I wanted to ask about that as well, because I feel like Johan isn't as frustrated by that guy being annoying as shit as that guy uses the wrong phrasing to describe Johan's art form. Like Johan is an artist. He's very, he tries to be very humble and everybody around him in that castle. Anyway, is like, you'd like the fucking best. He's so good. You so much value that you bring in what you do. And he's like, I don't know about any of that shit. And they continue to just dig in and they're all just a bunch of like true artists. That's what a true artist would say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a (laughs) true. That's like, that reminds me of, I had a conversation with a friend where they were like, Oh, just astrology is really my thing. And and I'm like, I'm not really big into it. And they're like, what, what, what's your sign? And I was like, Leo. And they're like, Oh, you would say that a Leo would say it. And I was like, God damn it. I'm not into this shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it was just like, he says, like, you go to one, this is what you do. You you go to one area and you commit a crime. And then you go to another area and you commit more crimes. And he refers to his painting as a crime. But I think at this point, too, like, we haven't, it hasn't been revealed that Johan has done something that's very fucking aggressive on the island and potentially bad. Or has he done it yet in that context? Because I feel like that is like a, a kind of a fuse that gets lit and he just gets pissed off because he thinks about what he's done at his utterly frustrated and annoyed by this man by the point he starts talking about weather he just turns around and slaps the shit out of him for <laughs> for insinuating anything 
but um, I didn't know what y'all thought or if I misread that or uh, I don't know. There's a lot going on with Johan, right? Like it's hard to tell exactly what he's feeling at any given time, right? Like at the the very start of the movie, he's affectionate with Alma and it's like, oh, let me draw you. Like go sit over there. And, And then like immediately in the next scene, she like tries to go up and give him a hug and he like pushes her away. And he is like very disconnected from her the whole rest of the movie and like he's he seems to be craving isolation but at the same time he can't stand it right like he is he still goes accepts dinner invitations from these people and you know he's it seems to be driving him insane kind of being alone on this island and i i don't know if maybe the uh, like him slapping that guy and reminded him of you know this kind of horrible violent act that he committed against this child or if if that's even real who knows but um it it is really hard to understand necessarily what he's thinking as a as a character which is interesting because the the movie is in theory just an adaptation of his diary right but like he also seems to be kind of going insane and you're not really sure if what he's writing in his diary is what he's actually experiencing and like there there's a lot of moving parts to to try to fit together to understand Johan's psyche I don't even know if we're supposed to really understand it yeah yeah I see this like struggle that he has with his own identity and with like being comfortable potentially with that and the same like the lens of being an artist um like if his stuff is you know being respected the way he wants it to or being understood the way he wants it to and if it is is that a good thing like if he's having these struggles with his past, um, whatever it is. Like, yeah, I agree. It's hard to tell, like, when he tells that, you know, stories or whatever, if it really did happen or not. Um, But he definitely is, like, seems to be ashamed somewhat of this past, but also, like, wants to live that, I guess. That's kind of what I was getting an impression of. Like, he he goes back to that castle. He goes back to the girl that he had before, uh, I guess and I had an yeah, affair with Veronica before. Vogler because they always yeah. call her by both names every Full time name. she's yeah. mentioned <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is like drawn back to that. He's like drawn out to the woods at the end, like all this stuff that he he goes to, and he almost like it, it almost seems pleased towards the end when they like cover him. He like puts on the makeup, and it, I guess he thinks maybe Veronica's dead or whatever, and he almost seems like okay with everything at that point. Um, but then he hears all of them laughing, right? Everybody starts to laugh at him. And then that's when he pulls away again. So I kind of thought the same thing at that dinner scene of like, when they laugh, you can see he gets like, he'll, he even like covers his face or he gets like, he, he doesn't want to be seen then. Cause he thinks like, oh, they know who I am and they laugh at me. Yeah. He seems very self-conscious, uh, about his, how other people perceive him. And maybe that's why he craves isolation. Like he just can't handle ridicule or criticism. Um, I mean, the scene at the end where he's like in makeup and everybody's laughing at him seems like some sort of, you know, homophobia coming out or or something or something. some sort of insecurity about his masculinity. Especially after he like fights with a swimsuit clad child just to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's unclear. He uh, feels what's like to, a big man, interpret Ryan, from that when he kills yeah. a child. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I honestly, that, that whole sequence, um, I don't want to get too far into the end of it, but I did think that there was going to be like a sexuality component and what, what he was exploring, uh, honestly, in full frame view for me, it, a lot of this speaks to like the vices of an artist and also the like voices that plague an artist. Um, I don't want to say that Johan is, you know, the picture perfect starving artist or anything. He has so much that is toxic about him and what he does and how he treats Alma. Um, and, but there are so many moments where he has kind of a choice to be better, to do something different. It's like when he's sitting at that table and everybody's laughing, they're all kind of like vultures or, you know, I guess they spar with each other constantly and they're just vicious, like social socialites who look for any kind of weakness in any armor and like tear somebody down. And to have Johan there continuing to drink when he's like so full of insecurities is setting himself up for self-destruction. And it really just felt like a lot of the movie is him building towards some kind of suicide. Um, I, I had no idea sort of where it would end or what would go on. But given that the beginning of the movie is just interviewing Alma, I was like, okay, well, Johan's not here anymore. And we've got whatever his diary is. This might be like a suicide note or something that, that he left. And he talks about the hour of the wolf and, the kind of context of that being when like the most people die and it's sort of this, the darkest hour of somebody's, I guess of like life basically and what that does and how oppressive it feels. So there's something to yeah, it. Yeah. But it's weird because that hour is also, he says the most births. Yeah. And so the, and I, I do think there's this play with duality in there as well throughout it that like, wait, yeah, I'm bouncing around on thoughts here because it's hard not to <laughs> with all the things that are all coming together. Um, but but I feel like he at the very end, we kind of hear his Alma say, like, did I love him enough or did I love him too little? Right. And there's this that balance of like, if I and I think he has the same thing where he's like, if they disrespect it because they don't get it, I'm upset. But if they get it, that means they really get it. And then I'm upset. They really know me. Like he's between these two things and he can just never be happy. Like constantly all of them. He's between two women. He's between the real world and this isolation, his internal, the external. Like he's between all these things and he's just completely unhappy in both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think too, the, the movie is interesting to look at in the context of what Bergman was actually going through in his life at the time. So he had just married Liv Ullman and they met on the set of Persona and like fell in love and both divorced their spouses and got married and Liv Ullman is pregnant with Bergman's kid in the movie like that's why she's pregnant when they they filmed it and at the time Liv had moved from Norway to this island Fora off the coast of Sweden to live with Ingmar and he had found this little island. There's like, it's very sparsely populated. He's like, oh, this is going to be my sanctuary. I'm going to move here. And he built this house for them there. And it was like great. He like loved being isolated in this place without having anybody around. And she hated it. And he like built a, a stone wall around the house, and like didn't want her to leave the house or like be seen by other people. And he was very like possessive of her. Um, and it's interesting to, watch this movie and to know the context of that. Um, I, w I watched this documentary this week called Live in Ingmar that is about their relationship. And it's from Liv Ullman's perspective, which her kind of talking about her history with, with Bergman and um, 
she didn't mention Hour of the Wolf really much in it, but I couldn't stop thinking about the plot of that movie, given like that is exactly what was going on at the time that this movie was being made. So there, it seems to be very personal to me, and it, maybe Bergman was going through some weird shit while he was making this and not really sure where he was as he was like getting into a new relationship and about to have a kid and moving to this isolated location. Yeah, there's something definitely working itself through there in a similar way to um, completely unrelated, but we, we've talked about Roma before at some point and uh, there, that Corone, when he was making that film, he didn't realize that he was processing the grief of his father abandoning him. And it was only like on set in action that he realized kind of what he was staging and trying to work through. Um, in addition to like everything else in, in that story, in that movie. And I feel like here, if Bergman built, you know, a stone wall to keep in somebody that he loved, there's that kind of like where the wild things are sort of uh, please don't go I'll eat you up. I love you. So sort of mentality to it <laughs> where it's like, can you really, and even in the movie, like Johan is consumed like full flesh consumed by these ravenous birds who appear to him in different manifestations of like opulence and wealth and artistic like connoisseurmanship. Like there's, there's just so many aspects of like who Johannes is an artist that ultimately destroys him. And like talking about the hour of the wolf and sort of like, it's the hour when the most births happen and the most deaths. There's something in the matches as well of like, he's lighting these matches and burning them down. And th there's a, a visual metaphor there of like, you know, it's like the candle that burns brightest burns fastest sort of thing. And the matches go out eventually because they just, they consume everything around them and then you're left in darkness again. And so seemed like this interesting. If Bergman didn't know it, it's kind of fascinating even more so to think that he's processing how he's smothering a relationship uh, yeah. and, and never realized it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting context. So yeah, thanks Dixon. Yeah, I think an artist's subconscious comes through. It just does. Like, everything you oh, work, it's yeah. in there. Yeah, and so I mean, there... Th this seems, like, just conscious to me. Like, this Pro is so probably. overt about what yeah. he's going through in his life that, like, this doesn't feel like he just happened to write this Yeah, yeah. to what he was going through. But yeah. but, yeah, you hear artists who are like, oh, no, that's not what I was going for at all. And you're like, nah. Like, if I piece these things together, it's definitely there. <laughs> and you just that's you like it just you you come through your art and there's nothing you can do about that like that's right. sometimes the beauty and sometimes the fear in that art um of that person really coming through yeah yeah um i want to talk about what one of the scenes that i i really like toward the beginning of the film one of these scenes where they're staying up to try to make it through the dark and johan is freaking out and alma is always trying to provide comfort to him and he just can't receive it Right, which is such a frustrating thing, you know. Everything everybody's experienced that with a significant other. You're trying to provide comfort, and it just doesn't work, right? And Johan is just pissed, and he he doesn't care what Alma has to say, and it's just like silent. And they're just sitting there, and he just goes, "A minute really is an immense amount of time." And then, like, like somehow Bergman is able to make that scene fascinating and really tense of just Johan staring at his watch. And Alma looking at him like, are you fucking serious? And he's just like counting down the time. And, you know, she like tries to say something. He's like, the minute's not finished. It just keeps <laughs> going. And then finally he's like, all right, the minute has passed. You can talk now. <laughs> <It's>... 
Yeah. Like that scene sounds so boring to describe, but it's just done so well that it's fascinating to watch. There that yeah, it, it taps into that same plane to what Ryan was saying about uh, uh Tarkovsky, where you you have somebody, you have an artist who can help make time feel a certain way in the movie, can stretch a minute into an eternity and really put a focus on it. Or like, you know, in Stalker, the train ride, um, the the cart ride out to the the Forbidden Zone area. And it's just like, oh, this feels somehow mysterious, even if it is sort of like, yeah, I could count on my hand what the minutes are here uh, or how many seconds are passing by. It feels longer or it feels shorter. And that mm-hmm. that scene was really cool because it, yeah, again, as boring as it sounds to watch somebody look at their watch, there's such an intensity that Max von Sydow adds and like an ominous oppressiveness in making Alma endure a minute, just like a minute, um, that it it fills the room kind of with this tension and the audio too has like this dead air sort of white noise that I, I was thinking in that moment, I was like, I bet right now if I saw this in like a big theater, which Ryan, I can't, did you go see it in theater or did you watch no, it? No, I didn't end up getting a chance to see it in a oh, theater. No, I watched it. Yeah. I, I figure like if you got to see it in a theater with that moment, that white noise would be deafening and potentially you'd mm-hmm. hear your, yourself, you'd hear your blood pulse. <laughs> it's Maybe pretty bad even. in headphones. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's just like, uh, it just has that extra thing of making you feel a moment. Um, so I, yeah, I like, I love that scene and I love the other scene. I think it, it, it comes somewhere around there too. We're almost trying to like show him that she's done the budget. She's done work. And yes. Uh, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's clear that their relationship is working out, you know, just gangbusters. Uh, there's so much love in the air when she's like, please just like, look at this book and make sure that the numbers are good. And he's like, yeah, close this book and eat this like soup. And that's just like, all take, take the money, just go. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> at that point, it's become like a transaction and he lives a life where he has to provide for her now is sort of like what that means. And there's no dialogue about it. And there's no thing in the di- there's no- nothing in the journal reading either that leads to like you ever knowing how he feels about Alma. You just know how he feels about other people outside of her, which I, I appreciated too. She didn't have an emotional reaction to, ugh, my wife, I have to deal with this, blah, blah, blah. It was all these dreamy texts and like flashbacks maybe and other wild scrawlings he had in there. Yeah. I don't think he even says a word in that scene. Like it's just her talking like, Hey, here's the accounting I did. I need some more money to pay the grocery bill. Please. Like here's, I'm going to run through every single line item. I want you to double check it. And he just like shuts the book, hands her cash and keeps eating and then gets up and walks away. It's like just very, it's a very good representation of where their relationship is. And she's very self like sacrificing in in that same conversation. She's like, well, you got this blanket for me. It was way too expensive. I don't need a blanket that that's, that's that nice. Right. Like she Mm -hmm. puts herself down even through like, well, I spent too much on this. I shouldn't have done that. Like she puts herself down. Yeah. Constantly, constantly questioning her choices for him. Not, not me. She is. Um, <laughs> I, I do that too as well because I'm just like, come on, Alma. You could, you could easily do better than Johan. Johan's kind of a dick at this point. Yeah. And so, so Alma one day is like doing laundry outside, and then just like 
like happens across this like apparition of an old woman who's wearing all white head to toe and claims to be 216 years old i mean excuse me 76 years old <laughs> and uh she's like hey uh you know johan has a diary under his bed in his black bag you should read it and then just walks away it's like what <laughs> so she like you know she starts reading that and and reads these stories of like you know johan coming across this weirdo who he slaps in the face or um like getting invited to the castle by baron von douchebag whatever his name is and uh, like all these things and it's just like these random one-off stories that kind of come together over the course of a few days uh one where veronica vogler just comes up to him boobs out just ready to go um as if she's there somewhere on this remote island um you know, he's, who's the woman that he had had an affair with years ago. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that sequence is, is interesting because you're, you're meeting some of these characters that then you meet later at the castle. They appear to be real when they go to the castle and have this dinner, but in the context of the diary and in the context of the scenes where it's only them and Johan, you're not sure what's real and what's not and what's going on in his head. But, um, I think all of those little flashbacks and interactions are really interesting. Yeah. And, and they reveal like that scene with, uh, Veronica, uh, is it Veronica Vogler? Sorry. Veronica, Veronica Vog Vogler. Veronica Vogler. That scene with Veronica Vogler, where, um, she approaches him kind of on the shore. She talks about how like he bruised her and was really rough with her. And then they immediately start making out. And there are some other, kind of bits and pieces of that there was some scandal that they were involved in and you're never really sure on like when some of the stuff happened he's he confesses to alma at some point that it was a thing that happened yeah it's a scandal i got over it but he clearly hasn't um and it's something that like the people on the island seem really interested in not just applying to him but like seeing how alma reacts to and really trying to mm -hmm. just fucking dig in with that like didn't they they buy a painting that he made of Veronica Vogler and yeah. put it on display? Um, we don't get to see in it. Their in their master bedroom. bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Where they can see it every morning and every night, they say. Yeah. And they get yeah. up and they go to sleep. And uh, I, I really liked that sequence too, like because Alma's standing there and we have two shots of Alma because there's one on that on the left hand side is her actually standing and observing the painting. And then on the right, we get to see the other side of her face with the mirror in the background and you get this chance to see like the full expression, but you're trying to piece together, you know, sort of what does the reflection here mean? And what is, what is that? What is she seeing? Um, exactly. And I was, sense of staging like that is just Im impeccable. Like the, he, every shot he frames is just, just perfect. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. Um, so should we talk as well about the, uh, the thing that reminds me the most of David Lynch, which is the puppet show that comes yes, out of nowhere. Yes, I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that reminded me of the, the lady in the radiator. Yeah, the radiator yeah, lady. Yeah, uh... <laughs> um, yeah that, that whole sequence after they go to dinner and there's this whole like uncomfortable conversational stuff and then everybody's like, let's retire to the parlor. We're going to go have fun. Uh, we're going to do a puppet show. And it's one of those like, the fuck okay sure i guess this is what a bunch of drunk people would do for fun on an island in a castle um and then like the fucking little curtains open and we watch like one of the guys work out the strings and i was like all right is this gonna be yeah i guess well we'll watch this marionette but then it's just a, a real dude it's a real ass dude who just comes out and starts singing 
and uh the like alma looks horrified <laughs> by what she's seeing yeah you only see that guy for like two or three seconds you're like wait a minute is that a real dude and then they just cut to the reaction shots of everybody for the entirety of this like opera song you're just yeah. looking at the faces of these people and yeah alma is the most aghast out of everyone for sure yeah she has these wide eyes just like um it's just so you can see so much of the world through alma's reflected like just reflected in her irises it's so beautiful anytime that that's kind of shot it really conveys the level of discomfort like especially during the dinner sequence her eyes are just saucers and uh the entire time in that castle it, she looks like she's fearing for her life in every room she doesn't know what kind of horrors might await and is like mm -hmm. when you when you frame the context of the action and the sequences it's like we had dinner we watched a puppet show i showed uh you this painting in my master bedroom of your husband's ex-lover you know, it's not really weird stuff. Um, it's all pretty <laughs> straightforward tour stuff, <laughs> but it's all horrifying in the way that it is done here and how like everybody just kind of gently ribs and peels apart pieces of their relationship uh, when they're in that castle. It really feels like it just destroys them. That island is destroying them. Um, so, yeah, but like what what is that? I guess what, what is it about that uh, that puppet show? Yeah, I think it's just that like initial weirdness of the to you even as the audience of like what the fuck is this? And then you see, you know, our characters that we're following also confused, but you see all the weird people in the castle like into it, some of them and way too into it. Um that you just follow along with that. Yeah, and I think Liv Ullman is just so she's so talented. She's like one of my favorite actors. And you know, you talk about it. she just has the most open, expressive face. And like you've anytime she's on screen, you feel like you know exactly what she is experiencing. Like her emotions are just right there and she's able to convey like deep inner thoughts in a in a fascinating way. And so she she works really well. Like the movie would not work as well with anybody else in in that role. Yeah, and I think likewise, Max Boncito, he carries such like a world weary look, and and is so yeah, good. At he kind does, of conveying yeah. Just the stresses that are around him, concentrating it into his face, and it's just like ah, uh, um, they they really compliment it. They can just both act without saying anything, and it's beautiful to watch. Yeah, um, and then but before we get away from the dinner puppet show, I, I I think touching a little bit more on the dinner scene, I think just the way that scene is edited is so incredible, and the way it's shot, where you're getting close ups of all of these different characters, and either hard cutting or quick panning to different characters, and getting little bits of conversation that kind of don't really mean much in and of themselves, and like it perfectly conveys that fear and anxiety of being the new person in the group of people that all know each other and you feel completely left out and like you have no idea what's going on and there's all of these in conversations that you are not privy to and then when they do try to loop you into something it's not really like you know they're not trying to ask about you they're trying to like you know loop you into their in conversation that you don't really have context for and like i, I thought that scene worked really well to kind of create that fear and anxiety of that type of experience it opens with this like rotation around the table as everybody is sitting down it was like a really mm -hmm. awesome shot but it's also kind of like unsettling because it's like it just all of these people you're going around it almost like dizzily seeing everything sit down and then yeah at the table you just keep kind of jumping back and forth um 
I, this whole time and that dinner scene and tour, it is amazing how much Alma and Johan put up with that. Like, if he slaps a dude for just following him too fast, uh, <laughs> the fact that he just like lets a woman grab him and try to make out with him and his wife lets that go. And then they just say weird shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that uh that castle family they they cross a shit ton of boundaries and uh, yeah they push. it's that's that's where like, it's like i don't know it just feels like he's being abused by them yeah i was gonna say like when he they, when the lady shows him like takes him in and is like hey here's the painting we have of his ex ex-girlfriend and then she like goes on an aside where she's like hey check out this bruise on my thigh my husband thinks it's hot yeah <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> and then they leave the castle and alma turns to Johan and she's like they're trying to separate us but I won't let it happen like I'm going to stay faithful to you I'm not going anywhere we're gonna get through this and Johan just says nothing and it's just like there is just the it's like the relationship has already been severed before they even got there to that castle right like there's nothing that she can do to save this thing but she keep she keeps trying valiantly to to save the relationship and keep it going is that the same scene where they're out near it's like getting close to dusk and uh they're in the forest they're in yep. the forest and she starts screaming and he's like try he goes to try to even just i guess kind of placate touch her, her and like touch her, her but and not she's talk. like no yeah yeah he just won't talk and he's trying to like kind of hug her and she's like no and then she just screams at him as he's like he literally tries three times and then he gives up and goes hey, fuck it I he just walks leaving. off yeah yeah just fuck yes yeah. <laughs> Well, after not saying anything, when she's like, I won't leave you, like, please let me know that you're going to, like, stay with me and not, like, go to them. Then that's when she freaks out because he won't, he can't even commit to, like, stay with his wife and not go off with those weirdos. Yeah. So the, uh, speaking of that, kind of like the relationship and trying to get that relationship divided, the the opera they listen to is the magic flute, right? I mm-hmm. think, and then he mentions it a little bit earlier, and then we have this like Birdman that that wears a costume kind of similar to some of the, the interpretations from Magic Flute. The kind of point of the Magic Flute is this like male and female like being together like harmonizes and like that's what's necessary for like peace and good in the world. Um, and the fact that in his journal at one point when he's talking about Veronica Vogel. <laughs> He says like they like were one like peace like something together and that they were like you know destined or whatever to be together, uh, which Alma reads and is like that's fucked up like tells him that <laughs> specifically about like do you think that with me or whatever <laughs> and then she mentions later that he has told her like oh she's whole like, yeah. implying that like he's not and other people are not and that she doesn't need anyone else necessarily to complete though he knows he does um and so yeah there's kind of this that theme of like needing these two things together but then he's like pushing them apart yeah i it kind of reminded me too of um that scene of her talking about being whole and and how initially she thought it was very sweet but in retrospect as she sees you know him bring up this like better half or like a complete pair sort of uh we can be as one um all this figurative language that she's left out of it reminded me of uh another movie which is anomalisa where there's it's all about a man sort of lusting after love that movie yeah lusting after like a woman who can 
who can complete him. And he feels like this is the one like every fucking time. And then he literally just chews people up and spits them out in his own sort of psychosis of, of thinking like, no, you weren't the one. Never mind. You're, you're just boring like everybody else now that I've like had you. And it, it ends up being kind of feels like that same thing of Johan really doesn't know what he wants. He knows that he wants to paint. And that's like probably the only thing that he really knows because he seems at odds with whether he wants this kind of happy life with uh, a wife and kids and living on this island, or if he wants to go party it up in this castle with people who just insult him and like buy his paintings and flip them upside down and pull pranks on him and shit. Like <laughs> he's somehow drawn to that. <laughs> and, and at the same time, he's like, I don't know. He, he just really can't seek out through that. And he feels like he needs to look for something that completes him. And if he's already found somebody whole, he's obviously made up his mind by the time he gets to the island. He's not, it's not going to be Alma. She's not going to be the one, um, which when does he get a gun again? Cause that's like when that dude just shows up. Oh yeah. The duty slapped, like, right? He comes back and is like, Oh, Hey, storm's coming. You just gotta, you come back to the castle or whatever. Oh, here's a gun by the way. And just like puts it down on the table and walks out. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. in case you need to defend yourself against some like wild game or something. He says, he says small animals specifically, which yeah. I'm like the guns for the big animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who knows what these rabbits are like on this island. <laughs> yeah, so right before that guy shows up, they're trying to get through the Hour of the Wolf, and Johan is like, uh, hey, I gotta tell you something, uh, but you can't tell anybody. And almost like, uh, okay, uh, all right. He's like, remember when I told you I got bit by that snake? Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> and the, like, in the middle of the movie, we go into what is is almost like a mini silent film right in the middle of the movie um you know cut to like you're in this very dark scene lit by a gas lamp to very bright overexposed scene of johan fishing shirtless on the uh, like a rocky beach and he has kind of some of his painting equipment and fishing equipment spread out on the rocks and all of a sudden this little boy maybe like 11 years old or something is like just kind of around doesn't say anything. There's this very terrifying, eerie music playing over this whole thing. And the kid kind of comes up behind him and is looking over his shoulder and then goes and kind of messes with some of his stuff. And Johan absolutely flips out and starts like wrestling this kid. And then uh, all of a sudden things get out of hand and he just starts beating his brains in with the nearest rock that he can find and drops his carcass into the ocean. Um, Which... Like, on the one hand, this scene feels very out of place with the rest of the movie. But on the other hand, it it's just really, it's so well done. I don't really care. Um, and it's like, I don't, I don't know if this is trying to say that Johan is, you know, is a terrible, violent person. And that's why he's doing these things. Or it's this guilt from this event that has created these, you know, experiences that he's been going through. Um, in the that section when he's kind of attacking the kid, the kid makes these weird noises that sound almost like a bird. And so I was like, is the bird man like a reflection of his guilt from this incident? I don't even fucking know, but um, I, th- I think like we have, we had to talk about that scene right before, <laughs> before we get any further. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really weird that he's burning those matches. And then he tells us about a story when he was a kid where his parents punished him by checking him in a closet and telling him that there was something in there something yeah. that was going to come get him and then get out and then 
ask him how many lashes he wants, and he's like, all of them. And then he's like, oh, that reminds me. Did I tell you when I killed that small child? Like, that (laughs) thought just flows instantly into the next thing. So there's some, like, subconscious connection for Johan between this, like, as a child and this punishment, and then this, whatever he does with this child, um, whether it happened or not, or if it's a, like, representation of him fighting some younger self or other thing other or whatever uh and then yeah that kid like floats kind of back up and down like it doesn't immediately like go away and then towards the end of the movie or into the movie we see it float again like we cut back to it so it's Uh obviously though i mean obviously it feels important because it's fucking completely different scene from anything else so far uh that it does seem like it holds a lot of weight yeah and they go back they cut back to it at the end of the movie so right yeah yeah i in that sequence, yeah, and him talking about his parents liking him in, there was kind of like these themes of like unjust punishment, like the way that kind of the, the that justice is carried out in both instances um, is this really aggressive abuse of like, all right, we're going to lock you in a closet. We're going to psychologically fuck you up. And then we're going to pull you out and we're going to physically fuck you up. And likewise, he's when he's fishing and the kid takes a thing from him, it's like the kid crosses a psychological line and Johan doesn't really know how to, how to, to push back against that other than sort of what he's, I guess, learned or kind of adopted, which is just violence. Like he slapped that dude earlier. That was how he quelled that conversation. Um, he can easily solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah. He could easily solve this problem by <laughs> slamming this kid against some rocks and then chucking him in the water um, and the, the imagery of that child, like bobbing in the water was, it hauntingly reminded me of like jellyfish, like, and how fucking creepy now, like when I see jellyfish, I'm just going to think there's a human attached to that. And it just looks like it'll fucking terrify me more <laughs> in some <laughs> weird way. But it is that kind of like, you know, the, uh, the ocean doesn't let it sink. I think that the visual metaphor there is even though he tries to dispose of the body, just the natural buoyancy of what he's done will always make it rise back up to some kind of surface level where he can feel it or see it and he'll know it's there. And that scene too, like they, they, he uses music as a sound effect so effectively in like, you know, when he's bashing the boy's brains in, you hear like a deep drum beat instead of the, you know, horrific sound of a rock hitting a skull. And then like later when he shoots the gun, you hear, this horrifying like string screech on a violin yeah. instead of actually you know a, a a a gun firing and that those uses of sound i think are just a, a fascinating way to like really pull you in and make you feel unsettled and it, it almost makes the violence feel harder rather than than softening it yeah and it often feels much more like sudden the violence is more sudden cuz the gunshot mm-hmm. he's telling her like to go or whatever and then he just pulls the gun out kind of like you know in in some way no warning he's kind of playing with it i guess a little bit but like that and what if the kid when he slaps the guy some of the things that happen in the in the castle like it all tends to just be a very fast um and it's unsettling right violence that just is that like it comes from nowhere is really unsettling yeah definitely didn't the um when he gets the gun to protect himself from small game um doesn't, and then shoots his wife. Yeah, and then yep. shoots his wife. Right before he shoots his wife, doesn't the guy also say, like, oh, yeah, and we're throwing, like, a party, and Veronica yeah. Vogler's going to be there. 
And yep. then he just like leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, she he's wants like, to see you. She's like, absolutely ready. It's also like, what time is it? Like three in the morning? Like yeah. it is just, the sun has just come up in Sweden in the summer. It's like, what What are you doing? Coming to, coming to bring an invitation to these people at this time. <laughs> yeah. And, and like that, that whole sequence of watching him think about it as he plays with the gun too. Um, and there's some sort of the way that that, is staged i hadn't even realized that there was that he shot uh that he shot alma until it was kind of like past that point like when he shows up to the castle and somebody says something about like oh he shot and you know three three shots one of them mortal um it's like okay i i didn't realize that he had done that because i think the way that the framing is shot it's a little bit off center and then you just get head on sort of him looking right down the barrel of the camera there's a, a lot more of that in this movie than i sort of expected and i really like when that's done like having i think uh the other kind of movie that i thought for characters looking directly into camera was come and see um Mm. which has so much i think that those shots are so important to uh mystify you into trying to think like what what could this person be thinking or you're just looking at like the way that the world is washing over them directly like alma looks directly into camera when she's at like the dinner um, she, he looks directly into camera when he's playing with the gun and like aiming it at Alma. There's just these moments where it's, it's like an emphatic marker. I know that like in most conventional films, you don't want anybody looking down the barrel of the camera. Um, it's unless you're going to stylistically use it to enforce something like this is now you're now this character, like the audience is now with Alma being shot and, and like, there's just this horrific violence that you confront head on. Um, and I liked, I liked Bergman doing that. I really enjoyed kind of how he played with it in this and showing these different characters, even the people from the castle looking directly at camera at times, like yeah. gives you that extra unsettling sort of, uh, vibe of, of looking into a human being's eyes and, and not yeah, knowing right. what's going <laughs> on behind them. Yeah. You get the, imp- their impressions, their fate, like you're trying to read the thoughts in their face. It is strange to kind of like break that plane and have them looking at you the beginning of the movie also kind of fourth wall breaks the movie because it starts off with the like text or whatever and then over the intro we hear like camera crew crew or whatever setting up for this like interview with Alma and then like the movie takes place it almost kind of like sort of establishes it's a movie at the beginning and then almost like gets rid Mm -hmm. of that right away it's like staging (laughs) it as a documentary yeah yeah it's interesting. The, I, I definitely agree with you, John, that that, that use of direct-to-camera definitely works really well for this type of thing. Um, Ryan, I think we're at your favorite part of the movie when he goes into the castle. Do you want to tell us some of your favorite bits from this this part? Yeah, right, right after he's shot his wife, supposedly, uh, he goes to the castle and he's just on a mission, I guess, to find Veronica Vogel. Um, he runs into like the old lady first. I think this was interesting thematically as well because she's like coming on to him again and he's like, nah, nah. And she's like, well, I'll tell you where Veronica is. And he immediately is like, whatever you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, and she makes him like lick his, lick her feet or, or whatever. And yeah. And I'm like, oh dude, Johan, you're so 
<laughs> so simping for Veronica. Um, <laughs> she's like, I got the arches of a 25 year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, I, yeah, she was in the West Wing or whatever, like, uh, like 15 minutes ago. I don't know if she's still there. <laughs> like, she's yeah. like, doesn't even give him useful information per se. Um, all the shots of the castle, like, it's cool again, using the shadow and like the it's hard to tell the size of the rooms like things are all like very off-putting as he goes through there uh i don't exactly remember the order but he bumps into the other guy who's gonna take him there and then that guy fucking walks on the ceiling uh who i guess Mm. is veronica's husband or current boyfriend it's no uh he's he's married to that other woman at the castle, but he's also sleeping he with also Veronica. Was sleeping with Veronica. That's right. Okay, yeah. It's all very confusing. Yeah. And then he pretty much is like, oh, we're gonna I'm gonna just hang out by the bed while you guys do it. It's okay. <laughs> Brad can watch, but he has to pay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a it's a fall well scenario. That's what we call that. <laughs> <laughs> um and then yeah, so then he goes into the room with like the hat lady uh, and one of the others, and there's a guy that's like fucking playing a harpsichord that they're like, oh, he's the best. He's amazing. Like, again, with this like artist thing of them like over selling like every artist or whatever, that he's amazing. And then the whole lady with the hat is like, I have to take my hat off to hear better. Right. Yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, just that <laughs> fucking kill me. It's like, take my hat off so I can hear this better. And then she takes her hat off and then her face off. Yeah. Um, yeah well the other face (laughs) well the other lady like describes the glue supposedly like the sound of it and the smell of it for her face like when she starts to peel it off and then it cuts the other lady i was like oh fuck it's like describing it as yeah that was like the perfect weirdness and then yeah, you really pulls her, see her face. Out. You just see her eyeball drop. Yeah, dropping into like some wine glasses, and like that was one of the characters that he had painted earlier. Was like, you know, oh, this is an old woman, and she's always threatening to take off her hat, but when she does, her face comes, comes off, off with it. And yeah. So immediately when she says that, you're like, oh shit, here we go. Yeah. yeah. The moment I saw um, that old woman with a hat, I was like, she's gonna take that shit off, and her face will come with it. I know it. Right. <laughs> and it's it. I would say for like for the time. Like that, it was a pretty decent, like unsettling effect, like more Uh unsettling than you usually see. Like now it'd be like whatever and it'd be digital, maybe even like some prosthetic or whatever. But for there, I'm like, that's a pretty cool effect. It's very unsettling because of the way it's cut, like to it in a way and to it and like describing it. And like that was all, I was like, that was cool. That was straight. Especially because now it's set you up with a dude fucking walking on the ceiling and like crows everywhere and like it's kind of like set you up for this really creepiness. But I, that's where I was like that kind of was the hype because then it's just like like I don't know they bite at him off screen kind of or like it, did, it didn't really get any weirder than that. Yeah after that he goes into we the got bird, bird Yeah, yeah but he's like the bird for, man. A, for like a half a second he's a bird man. He's not even that creepy of a bird man. He's just wearing a costume. <laughs> He, t- he talked about, yeah, the Birdman, honestly, that would probably be the biggest letdown for me in the movie was because when Johan describes the Birdman earlier, he's like, he has this face and I can't tell if it's a beak or a mask or like what he's wearing. And, and uh, I was like, oh, Birdman, I want to see how fucked up this could be. Um, and then when I see him, it's kind of like something out of a musical a bit. Like at mm-hmm. first I kind of like laughed because... Uh, they film it in the room where John Woo keeps all the doves and uh, like (laughs) (laughs) the dude's walking through and all these birds are like, ah, shit, there's a human here, like hopping around. And then that dude just turns around and like sprouts wings and it's kind of like a, a, a fantastic glider pack on his back. And then he's just gone. And I was like, oh, 
all right, that was fucking weird. Uh, definitely and not. And he, sa- he says, you'll see what you want to see. And yeah. then he disappears. Um, and before that, he like, you know, he puts Johan in, in makeup and like in this fancy robe and stuff. And then you start getting some gender bending things going on. Yeah, that's right. We watch him get eyeliner and lipstick put on and everything. Um, and he's all dolled up. At, at this point, I thought he was going to be Veronica Vogler. I thought that he was going to walk into Ooh. a room and put a wig oh. on and be Veronica Vogler. And it was going to be some weird, they are one technically kind of thing. He was going to um, Buffalo Bill talk to himself in the mirror. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he would see what he wanted to see, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like after that, he goes right in. He's like, all right, Veronica, we'll see you now. Uh, and go, it goes to that that big open chamber where she's just laid. There's a sheet laying over her. It's like a morgue basically with only yeah, one it's... space for one. <laughs> and he, so he like starts to, you know, uh, get with Veronica. And then he looks, he hears laughing and he looks up and he sees everybody like standing there laughing at him. And the harpsichord player who we have, I think only met in that one scene where right. he's playing the harpsichord is st- like squished into the window in this terrifying pose. It's just so unsettling. Uh, and he's, uh, Johan is like, you've done it. Thank you for crossing the line. You've broken the mirror, but like, what does the reflection show? And I, I think basically he's just like, his psyche is just completely broken at this point. And he just like, doesn't know what to do with himself as a human being and like none of this seems to be really happening right like Alma says you know oh yeah he shot me in the arm and then he ran out and I hid and he came back in 10 minutes and he stormed around he wrote in his diary for a couple hours and he left so like it seems like some sort of existential crisis that he is going through that he is either thinks is happening to him or he's just writing about as he's he's going and just kind of losing his his grip on reality but um, it's such a wild, visceral sequence of him running through the castle, all these different rooms, and encountering these people who get weirder and weirder as as it goes. Yeah. When it does, it seems like he just finally gives in. Like he almost seems when he says like, "Oh, the mirror is like broken" or whatever. It's almost like he's like, "Okay, like this is me now. This is what it is. Like I'm just gonna yeah. give in to all of it. My my um, demons have conquered me." Yeah, and then he's kind of like, what does that mean now? But, like, he, he seems okay. Like, he w- actively went after it, let the mirror smash, and then is, like, in it. Uh, and then I guess he just, like, runs to the woods and gets, dies, he killed gets by eaten, them. consumed. <laughs> I, I actually yeah. like that scene. I know, oh, yeah. Ryan, you're kind of like, uh, thought it was a letdown. I really liked that, where Alma, like, runs after him, then she starts seeing them, too. And, um, you know, basically they do to him what he has done to them. Like the, the nerdy guy slaps him in the face and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the horny old woman like scratches his, his neck and then Birdman comes in and I, I love that edit. It's such a, like a visceral, really cool edit where they show Birdman close up and then they show like a, a crow or a grackle really close up. And then they show Birdman like very short, just a few frames, like lunge forward and like do a, like a biting motion and you see like his neck start spurting and the, you know, birds cut in through all that. It's, it's hard to describe, but it looks really, really cool. And that's again, a scene where they're using music instead of sound to kind of create the feel there. And I, I thought that scene was really well done. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It just kind of was like, I feel like a let down from a little bit of the early crazy. You got to kind of ramp up and then just kind of keep 
ramping up the crazy, <laughs> right? That's where I'm like, if you're going to do that, if we're just going to be like weird, like surreal, that's the point of it. You just got to keep going on that train. <laughs> you just wanted that old woman to have more clothes that so she had to take off to take her face, hands, whatever, falling off. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I disagree, but this was 1968, right? There weren't a lot of like crazy surreal masterworks at this time. This was like one of the early ones, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that stuff all, all works pretty well. I mean, it does... From there, it's like, you know, you go back to the framing device and Alma is talking and kind of explaining what's going on and starting to question her own sanity as, you know, it's like, has what Johan has been through, is that rubbing off on me because of all the time I've spent with him? I think those are interesting ideas. And it leaves you in this kind of unsettling place where Alma is like very unsure of what she's gone through and where she can kind of go from here in life. So I think the ending is really interesting but it's definitely not on like that crazy high that you're talking about for sure which i I understand like coming back to alma and like grounding um and yeah Mm. maybe i'm like maybe i'm being nitpicky anyway because i'm like is uh, el topo like even weirder at the ends or is it just weird all the way through like i don't know that it ramps (laughs) up ever i guess it just kind of is weird like definitely like a racer head you know we just talked about mulholland drive by the end, it's much more like it's getting confused. There's tiny people turning huge and laughing at you. You don't know yeah. who anyone is anymore. Like everything has just completely come off the railings um, and just has ramped all the way up to that. Yeah, I, maybe it is kind of that we start off pretty grounded. We're awake during the day. Then we go through an hour of the wolf and then we wake up in like <laughs> the after the dream. Uh, or the nightmare has kind of ended. Um, do you think that like the, so one thing that I just like thought about, um, and I'm curious if y'all agree, um, is it foreshadowing when he's talking about hour of the wolf and how like it, it's when the most people die, but the most people are born. And the fact that Alma is pregnant as well in this moment, do you think that that's like a destiny sort of trade off of like the baby's existence just implies that Johan could not um, at some point or, uh, maybe that's something in his psyche. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's so it's so hard to tell like exactly what this movie is is trying to get at. I think a lot of it is like Bergman's personal hell that he was going through at the time, and like maybe him kind of realizing what he was doing to Liv Ullman and putting that on screen and making that into a movie. Um, I think a lot of it is about just you know artist pain and you know um kind of tortured souls and how artists can you know maybe struggle to to deal with reality sometimes um but then you got the whole sequence with like the little boy murder and i don't really know how that fits into everything except just maybe as a, an expression of of trauma and guilt that is playing out there or, or just a representation of the the evilness in in Yoan. i do think there's something strange about the fact that he talks about the hour of the wolf and then he talks about all this weird stuff and that, you know, there's this theme of him not sleeping at night in the, the darkness. Um, but nothing happens at night that's weird or wrong other than stupid shit that Johan has. Like he brings it himself to say weird <laughs> shit at night. Uh, all the weird, like the people show up, like it's all during the day. It's like the brightest possible thing when he's killing that kid. Like it's yep. daytime is horrifying and nighttime just seems like fine 
That's a good point. Uh, yeah. I also was like, you know, there's a certain amount of, and I know the witching hour and the, you know, hour of the wolf, like those are like true mythological things, but it, there is a part that like bothers me of like, the fucking happens every night. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess you just sleep through it most of the time, but I'm like, it can't be that strange. It happens every single night for an hour. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I think too, like, you know, cause basically Johan gets killed by his creation, right? Like his characters that he has mm -hmm. drawn end up coming in and destroying him. And, you know, maybe it's about an artist kind of getting lost in his work and not being able to be the husband that he needs to be or to do other things in life the way that he should because he is too obsessed and kind of drowning in the, the work that he's doing um, and not really able to function outside of that. And, and I know Bergman was was like that. Like um, Ullman had said that, you know, basically he couldn't do anything for himself because all he could do was just write and direct and and that was it whether it was movies or plays or tv that's all he wanted to do and so he couldn't really like function as a normal person he's a terrible father you know not a terrible husband um so i think there's something to that as well yeah well we talked somebody one of you mentioned the shining yeah mm -hmm. right and that's kind of the same thing stephen king exploring the i'm a horrible father when i'm drunk and trying to write all my books um, <laughs> right and there's the same theme there of that like isolation that pushes Jack over the edge in The Shining the same kind of way here um, yeah where it that that like loss of sanity pushes yeah. you over the edge you know, cool. and, we, and we know of artists who put way too much into their craft that they you know become the dark elements or you know believe that that's what it is anymore kind of like uh jim carrey right kind of you know he supposedly mm. pushed himself way too far yeah that's interesting um yeah and uh any other thoughts before we close things out no i just yeah. cool. i just like that hour of the wolf is one word just like you said it when we watched it dixon it's one oh word yeah in, in, in swedish, swedish it's one word yeah <laughs> yeah that's great yeah no i think we covered it there's a lot of just weird ass themes like we could just keep going and you just like pick a thing that we right, can like yeah. look for where it is in this yeah no I feel like uh, yeah I could talk about this movie for a very long time but I think we've pretty much covered uh, everything that I wanted to get to so um, let's uh, let's go around the table and uh, hear if we'd recommend this or not uh, Ryan would you recommend Hour of the Wolf I, I, you know, I want to just be like on the fence about it but I'm just going to do what I usually do when I'm like on the fence I just say no like negative on it. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. I need now it's like, I need to see more Bergman. I haven't seen anything else before. Most of my foreign cinema is Asian foreign cinema. I don't really get, um, as much into European French, even much less, you know, in, into Bergman. Um, and I think that if I had a better idea of him, as an artist and more of the work and, and what that is, I think I could probably appreciate this more. It does kind of like play a little too much into the, like the weird dialogue over the sort of like weird elements, like everything everyone says kind of, and then maybe this is the translation to subtitles too. I don't know. Like everything everybody says is kind of just weird. <laughs> like, and, and like mm. always a little tough for me where I'm just feel like you wrote everything just weird. It reminded me a bit of like Fellini like eight and a half where it's kind of constantly like 
moving from thing to thing and it's unclear like what the time is or how the people are related to each other and like i almost feel like we're just doing it to do that because it's easier to write in a confusing way uh, than to actually try to like string it together a little bit like lynch does put together like Mahone drives a good example of like a plot like there's a mystery and we're following it through all this weird stuff now, I just said I like Jordowski and there's no fucking clear plot, but there's like a some kind of drive, <laughs> right, to get to the Holy Mountain or to fight the how many ever gunslingers. Like, there's kind of a plot. <laughs> That's a bit of a stretch yeah. there, right? Yeah, but it's. Yeah, I'll agree that those are way, way worse. Uh, and the dialogue is weird all the time, but I feel like that's just like 100% weird. And maybe that's what I needed was like fully on board, 100% weird all the time. I feel like you're being pretty nitpicky with this, Ryan. Like, I, uh, it just didn't gel with me. I guess that's yeah. where it like lays down. Is like it just didn't gel with me. And I do think this is the yeah. kind of thing. If it doesn't that, land, it doesn't land. I yeah, it doesn't. That. I do kind of feel like the layman would kind of just come into this and be like, hmm, "All right," get uh, kind of an impression. I don't know if they would walk away thinking about it as much either. I don't know. I did not watch it with Darla, and she would not have liked it. I'll just say that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an art house type of film. Like, I wouldn't recommend, like, just a random horror movie fan to go watch this. Um, but if, like, if you like David Lynch, I would definitely recommend people to check this out because I think it's definitely along those wavelengths. If you're into surrealism, this this is, a I think, a great movie to to show that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the dialogue is I, like I thought the script was really well written and like the the weirdness is done yeah through the dialogue but also through the the camera work and it, I think those two combined work really well together to create that unsettling vibe it's the kind of like nobody ever says anything normal like there's no conversation where I mean the closest is talking about the finances like that actually there is right. a conversation that was like a normal conversation and you can do that to be unsettling and show this like broken dynamic through a regular conversation. Every other conversation was like a bizarre, like, hey, did I tell you about when I killed that kid? Like, <laughs> just that's the conversation <laughs> we're going to have. That's true. But it's also supposed to be this like dreamlike, surreal horror yeah. thing, you know, right? It's not necessarily supposed to be realistic in, in the way it plays out. Yeah. But. I think we're just going to have to disagree on this one, right? Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's a, it's a first on this coming. podcast, everybody. A disagreement. <laughs> uh, John, uh, do you recommend this movie? Uh, yeah, I honestly, so obviously I can't recommend it to my dad. Uh, my dad probably wouldn't dig it. That's sort of a thing that I just assume, given um, sort of how it is an art house film. But it's something that I'm really interested to... I don't know how to really frame this other than I don't want to recommend it in like a solo thing. I think watching it with people is really cool as an experience. Like if you are able to watch it with your friends and discuss like after it's one of those movies, like I wanted to watch it with Sasha after we watched it. Um, because I think even in its slowest moments, there are these core pieces of like an artist's struggle and a relationship that's falling apart that has some nugget of relatability that somebody, even if they are on the outside looking in and are like, why is Johan always a dick about this? Like if that, that's just what they take away at the end of it, they can still probably peel back parts of like what is weighing on Alma and what's weighing on Johan and what's like driving some of these decisions and other stuff. They just, they'll never understand. Um, and even if they hate it, there are parts of it that'll probably stick with them. 
um, that they'll remember when they watch other movies. Like this entire time we've been sitting here, I'm like, it reminded me of this movie. I saw it in this movie. Like I didn't even mention Ari Aster and that shit's in there too. Like I, yeah. I thought about hereditary a little bit, um, just seeing people stand in the dark, like laugh or smile. <laughs> it has sort of like this permeation through the rest of film for me that I think other folks might be like, Oh yeah, I can kind of get that. I think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I would still recommend it all the same. It's one of those where it's like love it or hate it. It's an interesting experience and there's a lot of really cool shots in it and, uh, stuff that I feel like would still stick with you for, for one, ex- for one watch at least. So I am a full-throated recommend for this movie. Um, I, I love this film. I think it is fascinating. I really dig these kind of surreal, dreamy, nightmare movies like David Lynch. If you're into Lynch, I would highly recommend checking out Hour of the Wolf. Um, I also just really like Ingmar Bergman as a filmmaker. I think he's just one of the most talented filmmakers uh, of, of all time. And I've, I've really enjoyed going through his filmography and... Um, you know, I've seen a lot of his stuff, but there's still a bunch of stuff that I need to get to. So I'm excited to, to check out more of his movies. Uh, but you know, the, the seventh seal is great and that that's like not a horror movie, but it's very existential and psychological and super fascinating. And, um, scenes of a marriage is incredible. Like, you know, kind of about the, the breakdown of, of a marriage, almost kind of like hour in the wolf, but real and practical and not horror. Like, uh, you know, every conversation feels very realistic. But, um, you know, he's whatever kind of style he chooses for his film, he's able to execute it in, incredibly well. And um, so definitely recommend checking out any of his movies. Which is the uh, top recommendation for someone to go watch of a Bergman. Like if you yeah, have never starter? seen a Bergman movie. Yeah, you've movie. seen absolutely nothing. What should you go watch? Oh, man, that's interesting. Um, Probably not Persona. That's one that like is thought of as one of his best, but it's definitely like you got to really be into kind of weird art house stuff to to get into that one. Um, Seventh Seal is, is great and it's really interesting. That was kind of his, you know, one of his. It's really his second breakout hit. Um, Smiles of a Summer Night is a really good like sex comedy from 1955. That was his first kind of bust out on the scene movie. I think he won the Palme d'Or at Cannes for that. And he had been struggling his whole career. He'd been working since like 46 and finally had a big successful movie in 55 and then was able to finally get the seventh seal made because of that. He'd been trying to make that for years and years. So Smiles of Summer Night is a good intro point, I would say, where like it's a fun sex comedy that's just really well done. Um, And if you like that, you can kind of get a feel for what he's doing and go from there. It is still kind of early Bergman and his form and style really elevates from there. Like he wasn't at hour of the wolf level at that point yet, but he was still making some, some really great, um, interesting movies. So he started out as a theater director. A lot of his earlier movies feel more Mm -hmm. like theater. Mm -hmm. And then as he develops as a film director, they look nothing like theater, right? They're, they're, you know, very, very much feel like cinema. So, Nice. I got to check out that sex comedy. Yeah, you should. Smiles of a Summer Night's really good. Smiles of a Summer um, Night. Yeah. But uh, also that Criterion Bergman set is pretty great. It's expensive, but it's uh, it's very cool. Um, cool. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week. This is a fun conversation uh, about 
hour of the wolf um with me as always ryan king yeah sorry to sorry to bring it down there at the end but <laughs> you ass i know <laughs> after having this wonderful interesting conversation about all these themes in this movie <laughs> yeah just crap I, don't, on it. I don't know if i'd all recommend right. it <laughs> uh and uh john garcia don't worry dixon i still like it I, I'm glad. Uh, thank, thank you, John. Uh, I have been your host, Michael Dixon. Uh, fuck you, Ryan. Hey, hey! <laughs> Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.